Chapter 5 of Pomander Walk. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Domenica Campbell. Pomander Walk by Louis Napoleon Parker. Chapter 5 Concerning What You Have All Been Waiting For. The sun shone, the thrush sang. The leaves of the elm rustled, the great river flowed silently, the breeze came and kissed Marjolaine and whispered, Wake up, wake up, something is going to happen. But she could not hear. She only thought Telemachus was even duller than usual, and as she read of Mentor, she thought of the Reverend Dr. Sternroyd. Presently, whether it was the breeze that blew her thoughts away, or the singing of the thrush, I cannot say. She lost the thread of the story, stopped thinking at all, and just sat with her elbow on her knee and her chin in her hand, looking with her great brown eyes into what? The eyesore saw her. I cannot dip into the eyesore's mind. I cannot tell you what influenced him. I only know he grew restless. He looked at her over his shoulder once or twice as she sat there, in maiden meditation, fancy-free and suddenly he got up, laid his rod carefully across the chains, and stole out on tiptoe. Was it a glimmering sense that he was no company for this pretty maid lost in thought? Was it a dim realization that his ungainly figure had no business to intrude on her meditations? Whatever the cause, he stole out on tiptoe, and was lost to sight. Perhaps he was only thirsty. Marjolaine did not notice his going nor did she see Jack come. Jack came, apparently, out of the river. As a matter of fact, he tied his boat to a ring at the foot of Pomanda stairs and leapt on shore. A delightful young fellow, the sort of young man you take to the moment you set eyes on him. Obviously a sailor, his lieutenant's undressed jacket was over his arm. A wiry figure, lissom as a willow and as tough as steel, a face tanned by many suns, true sailor's eyes looking frankly and fearlessly at the world. He was evidently in search of something or somebody. He came down the walk examining all the houses curiously, and suddenly he found himself face to face with Marjolaine. His shadow fell across her book. She looked up, and their eyes met. Marjolaine was much too well-bred to show any surprise, but, as a matter of fact, she was very much surprised indeed. Here was a new and terrible situation. A total stranger standing, looking at her. Her mother and Nanette gone to Chiswick. The Admiral shut in his house, and not another soul in sight. Even the eyesore would have been a sort of moral support, but even the eyesore had deserted her. However, courage. If she went on with her book, the stranger would go so she went on with her book, grimly. But the stranger did not move. When a young sailor man sees an extremely pretty girl, his instinct is to stand still and look. Jack stood still. I will not say he was not nervous, he was, but he conquered his nervousness like the brave fellow he was and stood his ground. Marjolaine began to get angry. This was an outrage. She looked up at him once more, and this time there was a flash in her eyes which was meant to annihilate him. 
It did. If she had not looked up, he might ultimately have gone reluctantly away, but this look finished him and rooted him to the spot. Marjolaine returned to her book, but Telemachus had taken on a new shape. He had laughing blue eyes, and he carried a naval jacket with gold buttons over his arm. Also, he stood looking at her. This was intolerable. If the stranger would not move, she must. It went horribly against her pride to retreat in the face of the enemy, but if the enemy wouldn't retreat, what were you to do? She closed the book with an angry bang and rose to her feet. The movement roused Jack to a sense of his own inexplicable behaviour. "'I beg pardon,' he stammered involuntarily. Marjolaine eyed him haughtily from head to foot. She had read somewhere that this is what a well-bred young woman should do under similar circumstances. "'Why?' said she, raising her eyebrows. "'Oh, I'm so glad you said why,' cried Jack with evident relief. Marjolaine had not expected this. She was genuinely puzzled and a little off her guard. She could only repeat, but this time quite naturally, "'Why?' "'Well,' said Jack, very volubly, "'if you'd said there's no occasion, or if you hadn't said anything, our conversation would have been finished, you know.' Marjolaine could have stamped with vexation. Of course she ought to have said nothing, and here she was, entrapped into what this very bold young man described as a conversation. "'The conversation is finished,' she said, trying to pass him. But he held up his hand. "'No, it's my turn to ask you a question.' Yeah, she cried, more than ever on her dignity. "'He had the impudence to accuse her of asking him a question?' Jack remembered his manners. With a low bow, he presented himself. "'I'm Jack Sale, at your service. I'm a lieutenant in the Navy, and I've just rode down from Richmond, three miles. I'm home on leave, and I'm looking for an old friend.' "'All that is very interesting,' said Marjolaine. "'But it isn't a question.' And once more she tried to get by. Jack felt rather injured. She might have shown a little more interest in the autobiography he had just favoured her with. "'I thought it was polite to tell you who I was. As for the question, it's uncommon hot, and when I saw this terrace I said there'd be sure to be one here. Is there?' "'What?' cried Marjolaine, this time really stamping her foot. "'An inn?' "'Certainly not.' "'Can't you tell me where there is one?' "'I do not frequent them.' answered she, freezingly. "'No,' said Jack, crestfallen. "'Sorry, I am dry. You see, I've rode all the way from Richmond, five miles.' Marjolaine had manoeuvred safely inside her own gate. She felt she could afford a parting shot at him. "'I'm afraid you'll have to row all the way back again. Good afternoon.' By this time her hand grasped the handle of the door. Jack addressed the world in general. "'Curious how different everything is.' Marjolaine turned. "'Different what is?' "'Why, if I'd met an old gentleman outside his house in Spain "'and he'd seen how I was suffering, he'd have said his house was mine.' Marjolaine indignantly came down one step. "'I am not an old gentleman. I haven't any house in Spain. "'And it's a shame to say I'm inhospitable.' 
Jack's face wore an inscrutable smile. He protested. I didn't. I only said it was different. Marjolaine came back to the gate. Are you really suffering? She asked. Jack turned away to hide an unmistakable grin. He spoke in a hollow voice. Intolerably. Then he turned to her with a haggard countenance. Look at my face! Marjolaine came out of the gate. Ah, oh, Marjolaine, the moth and the candle. I can't ask you in, because Maman and Nanette are out. Jack staggered to the seat under the elm, and sank on it like a man in the last stage of exhaustion. It's of no consequence. I must row back. Seven miles against the tide. Ah, oh, well. Marjolaine was genuinely sorry for him. He really was very good-looking. I'm sure Mamma would ask you in if she were here. I'm quite sure of that. And I think she would not like me to be, as you say, inhospitable. I didn't say it, but I'm quite sure she wouldn't. Marjolaine's kind little heart was quite melted. This good-looking young man spoke so very humbly. I might... I might bring you out something. A gleam of triumph crossed Jack's face, but he answered with the air of a martyr. Oh, don't trouble. Marjolaine's sense of the proprieties got the better of her again. What would the neighbours say if they saw me feeding an entire stranger? Jack leapt up in indignant protest. But I am not. I've told you my name. That's as much as anybody ever knows about anybody. Marjolaine was now in the shadow of the elm. She examined every house in the walk. Number one's asleep, number two's combing her wig, number three's working, number five's nursing one of the four, and number six, poor Dr. Sternroyd. Doesn't matter, I'll risk it. She turned to go in, but stopped. What would you like? Jack protested. Oh, my dear young lady, it's not for me to say anything you offer me, anything. Ticking the items off on her pretty fingers, Marjolaine enumerated the various beverages stored in her mother's cupboard. We have elderberry wine, cowslip wine, red currant wine, and gooseberry wine. Jack's face was a study. It had grown so long that Marjolaine exclaimed with genuine sympathy, Why, you look quite ill. Which do you say? It was a choice between poison and discourtesy, but Jack was equal to it. I've been brought up very simply. I should never have the presumption to ask for any of those. Haven't you any ale? Ale? cried Marjolaine. How low! I said I'd been brought up simply. We have no ale. Before he could stop himself, Jack had cried, And this is England! But Marjolaine had had an idea. I know. There's Mamma's claret. She takes it for her health. What do you say to that? Jack had not tried it, and didn't know what he might be likely to say to it. He could only stammer, Oh, it's better than... Uh, better than... He was going to add elderberry or cowslip, but caught himself up in time. Better than ale. Ah, now will you wait a moment under the tree? I'll wait hours anywhere. Marjolaine caught sight of a figure moving about in number three. She came on tiptoe to Jack. 
you see by this time there was quite a conspiracy between them no better she whispered go into the gazebo jack could only stare at her into the what she ran across to the summer-house jack following her here she cried in the summer-house and keep quite still for a moment a horrible suspicion crossed jack's mind i say you will come back you're not going to leave me here to perish of thirst that would be a good joke she laughed i'll carve your name while you're gone no you won't why not because you don't know it voila and before he could stop her she had tripped into the house jack sat for a moment in a sort of silent rapture then all he said to himself was by george three times repeated and if you don't know what that exclamation meant i'm sure i can't tell you marjolaine had left the adventures of telemachus on the seat in the gazebo under ordinary circumstances jack would have avoided picking up a book but this was her book it had been in her hands her eyes had looked at it it was not so much a book as a part of the little goddess so he picked it up tenderly and tenderly opened it there on the fly page was a name lucy pryor of course her name lucy pryor just the sort of pretty simple name she would have aha but now he'd astonish her she should find he had carved her name after all out came his sailor's knife and to work he went and as he carved he sang a little song to himself the words of which were lucy 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 pryor he was not a poet the eyesore came slowly round the corner seeing the little lady was no longer on the seat he drew his line out of the water i need hardly record the fact that there was no fish on it with a sigh he seated himself on his box with his back to the walk patiently he placed a new worm on the empty hook and in a moment he was immersed in his contemplative occupation there was utter silence in the walk then the upstairs window of number five was thrust open and mr jerome brooke hoskin at his ease in his shirt sleeves and enjoying a churchwarden pipe leant out he was evidently conversing with his wife and was in his tenderest mood what a pity my dearest selina you are temporarily deprived of the use of your limbs the river is flowing by what do i expect it to stop no of course i don't why check my musings i say the river is flowing by not a living thing is in sight except the eyesore and he enhances the beauty of his surroundings by sheer contrast my smoke does not incommode you my own you can bear it dear soul am i the man to deprive you of an innocent pleasure he might have gone on all the afternoon in this strain but at this moment marjolaine came very cautiously out of her house carrying a tray on which was a bottle of claret a tumbler and a cake mr brooke hoskin was immediately absorbed in this new and inexplicable phenomenon what could it mean he watched marjolaine halfway across the lawn then in his softest and most caressing tones he exclaimed why miss marjorie marjolaine gave a little cry and very nearly let all the things drop she stood aghast mr brooke hoskin continued 
is your mother in the gazebo? Before Marjolaine could think of anything to say, she had said, No. Indeed. Then why this genteel refection? Here Mr. Brooke Hoskin was forced to look over his shoulder into the room and answer the invisible Selina. Yes, my own, I am speaking to Miss Marjorie. Meanwhile, Jack was signalling frantically to Marjolaine, who, on her part, was as frantically motioning him to keep still. Mr. Brooke Hoskin again leant forward, and Jack vanished only just in time. Marjolaine explained, I, I always take a little refreshment at this hour. It was quite obvious that Mr. Brooke Hoskin did not believe her. How singularly unobservant I am! I have never noticed it. Wait one moment. I'll come and help you. This would never do. No, thank you, cried Marjolaine. I am sure your wife wants you. And she added as a parting shot, She sees so little of you. Then, taking her courage in both hands, she hurried into the gazebo, where she and Jack stood, pictures of horror, silently awaiting Mr. Brooke Hoskins' next move. The latter leant far out of his window, vainly endeavouring to peer round the corner. "'Curious, very curious,' he muttered. "'Did you hear him?' asked Marjorie, in a tragic whisper. "'If he comes here, I'll punch his head,' growled Jack. "'Be quiet!' And again they both listened. But Mr. Brooke Hoskins' attention was engaged by Selina, and it was clear from his remarks that the dear lady was not in her pleasantest humour. "'No, my dear, of course I didn't mean to go. Do you think her an ugly little thing? Matter of taste. Oh, come, not jealous, my own one. Hold your hand. Oh, certainly, if you wish it.' And down came the window with a crash, and what sounded very like a fine Saxon monosyllable. Marjolaine and Jack, hearing the window close, uttered a sigh of relief. "'Thank goodness!' cried Marjolaine, and then, being a daughter of Eve, "'Now you see what you've done?' "'Pon my honour! I've done nothing! Just waited hours!' "'Hours, indeed!' said the girl scornfully. "'It seemed hours,' answered Jack, insinuatingly. "'It seemed hours, Miss... "'Lucy Pryor.' "'Lucy Pryor? "'Oh, you got that out of the book. "'That was Mamma's name before she married. "'My name's Lachanaise.' "'Beg pardon?' "'La Chanaise. "'Marjolaine La Chanaise. "'You don't pronounce the middle S. "'Are you French?' "'My father was.' "'She had filled the tumbler with claret "'and was holding it out to Jack.' "'Never mind about all that. Make haste!' Jack rose to his feet, tumbler in hand. "'Marjolaine. That means marjoram, doesn't it? "'Do you know French?' Jack bowed as he swallowed the claret. He swallowed unwisely. It was a lady's claret, and that and a lady's cigar are things to be avoided by the judicious. Indeed, Jack was shaken from head to foot by a convulsive shudder. "'Oh, Lord!' said he, involuntarily. But he pulled himself together like a man. "'I beg pardon. No French?' "'Very little. Marjoram, sweet marjoram. How appropriate!' 
Marjolaine was eyeing him with grave suspicion. "'You are not drinking. It is Maman's claret.' Jack gazed stonily at his half-empty tumbler. "'Does she... does she take this for her health?' "'Yes, as medicine.' "'As medicine. I understand.' "'You said you were thirsty.' "'It's a wonderful wine. Quenches your thirst at once.' He put the glass away from him. "'Take some cake,' said Marjolaine. She had forgotten to bring a knife, so Jack, sailor-like, broke the cake in two pieces. "'I say,' he cried, "'you must have some too, or I shall feel greedy.' And there they sat, like two children, contentedly munching and swinging their legs. "'I shall call you Marjorie,' said Jack, between two bites. "'They all do.' "'answered Marjolaine, with her mouth full. "'Do they?' asked Jack ferociously. "'Who?' "'Marjolaine waved her cake at the walk in general. "'Oh, the neighbours. "'Impudence!' growled Jack, but he recovered quickly. "'I say, isn't this delightful?' "'It's very strange. "'Do you know you are the first young man I've ever spoken to in all my life?' "'Jack's eyes expressed his joy.' "'No, that's first-rate!' Marjolaine stared at him with astonishment. "'Why?' "'Oh, I don't know. I hate young men.' "'Then you ought to live here. Here everybody is, oh, so old.' "'Poor little girl,' said Jack, with deep sympathy. "'Why?' "'Must be so lonely.' "'Oh, no.' One cannot feel lonely where there is a river. Twice every day it brings down news from the meadows where the flowers are, and the cattle standing knee-deep in its margins, and the demoiselles, how do you say, dragonflies, and the willows dipping their branches in it. And then, when the tide turns, it comes back from the great town, and sings of the ships and the crowded bridges, and the king and queen taking their pleasure in great golden barges, and the seagulls come with it, and it sings of the sea. Her eyes were flashing, her face was transfigured, Jack was leaning forward eagerly, and if there had been any loophole of escape for him before, there was certainly none now. "'Do you love the sea?' "'What do I know of it?' said she, coming to earth again. "'I have only crossed from Dunkirk to Tilbury, but that was lovely. "'It was very rough, and I stood against the mast, and my hair blew all about, "'and I shouted for joy. Oh, I should love to be a pirate!' "'Fine!' cried Jack, as excited as she. "'Tell you what, we'll charter a ship and sweep the seas and bang the enemy!' We? Why, you're going away in a minute, and I shall never see you again. There was a pause. Marjolaine's words had brought them both to a sense of reality. Finally Jack spoke, and his voice had a new ring of earnestness. Marjorie, do you mean that? She turned wonderingly innocent eyes on him. Why should you come again? Think a moment. Let us both think. We are very young, and I know I'm hasty. Let us sit quite still and think hard whether we'd like to meet again. Let us look at each other and not speak. She met his look quite frankly for a moment, but only for a moment. 
slowly her head sank and her eyes half closed and when she spoke she spoke very shyly i do not see why you should not come again she whispered i see why i should i must but it must be differently differently i mustn't come on the sly i'll get an introduction but none of your friends are likely to know anybody in pomander walk jack leapt up is this pomander walk he almost shouted why that's what i've been looking for all the afternoon that's where my friend lives the admiral it was marjolaine's turn to be astonished not sir peter antrobus yes do you know him why he's the king of the walk he lives at number one if you're quite quiet you can almost hear him snoring why there we are then i'm introduced i'm on a proper footing the whole thing's shipshape oh marjorie what a relief but i don't understand yes you do he's my father's oldest friend i served under him as a middy on board the termagant i'm very fond of him i'll come and see him to-morrow marjolaine clapped her hands and then he can introduce you to maman don't you see it's grand i'll come and see him often every day twice a day if he's out i can sit under the elm and wait for him with you oh aren't you glad i'm very glad you've found your old friend she answered demurely what's today quintity fifth prairial year thirteen she replied without thinking jack could only stare what are you talking about oh she laughed i had forgotten i was in england saturday jack's face sank then tomorrow's sunday hang well i'll come on monday shall you be here i'm always here be under the elm he thought a moment and then added insidiously shall you your mother about today marjolaine hesitated perhaps it would be better to wait until the proper formalities had been observed on monday when you've been introduced that's it cried jack and now i'll be off he took both her hands in his good-bye oh but it's good to be alive it's good to be young the river is good that brought me here the sun is good that made me thirsty and the claret was good the claret nectar oh jack jack marjolaine held up the glass still half full finish it then jack started back in horror but seeing the dawning surprise on her face bravely seized the tumbler and dashed it off thus swiftly was his perjury avenged good-bye little marjorie till monday she looked up at him wistfully you think you will come think cried jack and every lover's vow was in the one word slip to your boat quickly cried marjolaine peeping round the corner of the gazebo but before he could move she gave a startled cry and motioned him back for the muffin man had entered the walk ringing his bell dash it what's that cried jack keep still it's the muffin man i'm off wait now she was peeping through an opening in the boxwood hedge jack the whole walk's awake look jack's head was very close to hers i can't see your hair's in the way don't move 
For a moment they stood watching, and indeed the walk was awake. The muffin man's bell had acted like magic. The Admiral and Jim were already bargaining with him. Mrs. Poskett was on her doorstep with a plate in her hand. So was Ruth Pennymint. Barbara was in the garden, and Basil was telling her just how many muffins he wanted from the upstairs window. Jane, Mr. Brooke Hoskins' maid, was waiting impatiently, and Dr. Sternroyd had come out of his house, book in hand, and was making frantic signals so as not to be overlooked. And they were all talking and gesticulating and calling. "'By Jove!' cried Jack excitedly. "'There's old Antrobus!' "'All of them! All of them!' wailed Marjolaine. "'They're all buying muffins, greedy pigs. They won't see me.' He made as if to dash out. Marjolaine held him back. "'Yes, they will. Let me go first. I'll get them talking, and then you can slip away.' But she started back with a suppressed scream. "'What now?' cried Jack. "'Mamma and Nanette!' "'Yes.' As ill luck would have it, Madame Lachenay's and her old servant turned the corner at this moment, and with a friendly word to each of her neighbours, Madame was coming slowly towards the gazebo. "'They must not come here!' cried Marjolaine in distress. "'I cannot explain you before the whole walk. Is my hair straight?' "'Lovely. Monday?' "'Oh, I don't know. I'm frightened.' "'Monday?' insisted Jack. "'Yes, yes.' But meanwhile Mr. Brooke Hoskin had come out of his house, and taking advantage of the hubbub in the walk had crossed, shall I say, like a sleuth-hound? More like a sleuth-cat, if there be such an animal, to the gazebo, so that when Marjolaine came forward to intercept her mother she ran straight into his arms.' "'All right, Miss Marjorie,' he whispered with something very like a wink. "'I'll fetch the things for you.' "'No, no!' cried Marjolaine in agony. Her mother caught sight of her and called her. For a moment Marjolaine stood irresolute. Then, with an almost hysterical laugh, she ran to her mother. "'Me voila! Maman, chérie!' Jack was peering through the hole in the hedge, looking for a chance of escape. Mr. Brooke Hoskin put his head slyly round the corner of the gazebo, and, sure enough, just as he had suspected, there was a young man. What with the muffin man, and Madame, and Marjolaine running to and fro, and buttonholing everybody who seemed to be inclined to drift toward the summer-house, the walk's attention was fully occupied. Mr. Brooke Hoskin lifted his fat hand and brought it down with a sounding thwack on Jack's shoulder. "'What the devil?' cried Jack, turning fiercely on his assailant, and then in amazement, "'Hoskin! By all that's improbable, old Hoskin!' If it were possible for a large man to shrivel, the great Mr. Jerome Brooke Hoskin seemed to shrivel as he recognised Jack. He could only stammer, "'You, uh, sir, you... Hoskin!' repeated Jack, and then suspiciously, "'What the devil are you doing here?' I hate to have to write the words, but Mr. Brooke Hoskin had all the obsequious manner of a well-trained servant. "'I beg pardon, sir,' he muttered and turned to go. 
but Jack caught him by the lapel of his coat. "'No, no, Hoskin, you don't get off so easily. What are you doing here?' Mr. Brooke Hoskin turned sulky. "'I'm living here, sir.' "'The deuce you are! Well, you're in the nick of time. Be a good fellow and fetch my hat out of the boat.' "'Certainly, sir.' said Mr. Brooke Hoskin, but as he started to do so, he caught sight of the Admiral. He turned to Jack and said respectfully but firmly, "'I'm very sorry, Master Jack, but I can't do it.' "'Why not?' "'I'm looked up to here, sir. I should lose prestige.' Jack eyed him half with suspicion and half with mockery. "'I say, Hoskin, what's your little game?' Mr. Brooke Hosking was getting angry. "'What's yours, sir?' he asked defiantly. "'What the devil do you mean?' Mr. Brooke Hosking pointed an accusing finger at the wine and the crumbs of cake. "'I mean this!' "'What of it? What do you insinuate?' cried Jack fiercely. But Mr. Brooke Hosking's blood was up, and he was not to be intimidated. "'It ain't right, sir, it ain't right for you to come here like a snake in the grass, "'drinking claret and making love to our little Miss Marjorie. "'I won't help you. I'll be damned if I do.' "'Do you mean I'm doing something underhand?' "'Mr. Brooke Hoskin looked at him sternly. "'Well, ain't you, sir?' "'I'll devilish soon show you,' shouted Jack, trying to pass him. "'But now Mr. Brooke Hoskin fell into a sudden panic. "'Don't betray me, sir. Don't, sir.' he entreated, trying to stop him. Jack thrust him roughly aside with an angry, "'Out of my way!' and poor Mr. Brooke Hoskin sank on the seat in the summer-house, gasping. "'Good Lord, he'll tell the whole walk!' Jack had acted on the spur of the moment, but now that he was face to face with all the inhabitants of the walk, a sudden shyness took hold of him, and he stood irresolute. Marjolaine had sat down exhausted on the seat under the elm, and Madame Lachenay's was coming towards her. Little Barbara Pennymint was the first to see Jack. She gave a demure little scream and ran to the Admiral. Look, a stranger! Sir Peter was on his dignity at once. He came straight at Jack. Now, sir, may I ask? Admiral? cried Jack, saluting. Eh? said the Admiral fixing his one eye on the young man. "'God bless my soul! What a coincidence!' He seized Jack's hand and nearly wrung it off, while the whole walk watched with amazed curiosity, and Marjolaine looked on with delight. "'I'm delighted to see you, my lad! Delighted!' He turned to Madame Lachenay's as the social leader of the walk. "'Madame Lachenay's?' he cried, holding Jack by the hand. "'Let me have the honour of presenting my gallant young friend, the Honourable Jack Sale, son of my old friend, Lord—' He never got any further. At the words Jack Sale, Madame, who had been standing smilingly to welcome the young man, gave a sharp cry, swayed, and sank swooning in Nanette's arms. Then what a commotion there was, to be sure! Marjolaine ran to her mother. Mrs. Poskett, Ruth, and Barbara crowded round her or rushed about vaguely crying, "'Salts! Quick!' The Admiral stood petrified a moment. Then he hurried Jack towards the boat. "'Get away, Jack!' 
Jack resisted. But away with you, insisted the Admiral in a raucous whisper. Discretion! They'll have to unhook her. But the eyesore went on fishing. End of chapter 5